Hello and welcome to another month's Archimedes, the evidence-based section of the Archives of Diseases of Childhood, where we take real clinical questions asked by real clinicians and they've come back with an evidence-based answer for them. If you want to find out more, go onto the website and look at the instructions to authors to submit your own. This month, we have two clinical questions and one section to help you understand the evidence better. The first question comes from Ilana Levine, working currently at Stoke Mandeville Hospital in the UK. She asks a question that arises from a vaccination clinic. She's about to give a vaccination to a two-month-old baby. It's the first time they've been vaccinated and wondered, actually, would there be any point in giving this baby a local anaesthetic cream, just like we would do if we were doing venipuncture? Well, she went away and searched a number of electronic databases, getting 90 potential hits and then scouring those down to four randomised controlled trials that looked at local anaesthetic creams against placebo. These were all moderately sized trials, ranging between 90 and 165 infants, and all done at least single-blinded. What they looked at were a variety of pain-like measures, so measuring how long the baby was crying, using a, a validated neonatal pain distress scale, and looking at the length of time it was from first putting the immunisation in until the baby started to cry. And all of these, in every single one of the studies, showed a statistically significant reduction in those pain indices. The reduction wasn't huge. It was around about one third, if that, in the amount of crying or the pain scale or a one point reduction. Not enormous great effects. And I guess that that's consistent with the idea that what this local anaesthetic cream does is it takes away the pain of the needle going through the skin rather than the immunisation going into the muscle. But many, many parents will invest a huge amount of effort in reducing whatever pain they can for their babies undergoing these procedures. And so it might be entirely reasonable to suggest that we use a local anaesthetic even if it's a bit of hassle and takes up to an hour to work before the immunisation is given. Elana also notes that there was a concern about the particularly the Enla cream causing methemoglobinemia in tiny babies, but that after a review of the evidence with the BNFC, which is the UK sort of compendium of children's medicines, they have concluded that it's definitely safe to give one dose in 24 hours, and in the setting of immunisation, that would certainly be enough. What's the bottom line on this? Well, local anaesthetic does seem to reduce the pain of vaccination. Whether we should be recommending that as a nationwide strategy is a different question, but if a parent were to ask, then certainly it would be one way of taking that pain down. And, at least in the UK, you can get those creams over the counter. The next question has been asked by Isabel Pramana and her colleagues from Basel in Switzerland. The situation is not uncommonly. You are called to the delivery of a perfectly healthy child. Annoyingly, something irritating has been found in the blood results. And in this case, it's that the mother, despite being Hep B surface antigen negative, which is part of the usual testing, somebody's also gone and run a Hep B core antigen test on the mum and that this has come back positive. As this isn't part of the usual testing process, you're left with a bit of a dilemma because the guidance doesn't clearly say what to do. Well, this group 
investigated thoroughly whether or not it was possible to get hepatitis B infection from mums that are surface antigen negative and just core antigen positive. That's anti capital H, capital B, little c is the way it's often written down. What they did was they went away with a very tight question and scoured the evidence to look for studies that had prospectively followed up babies which were HB little c positive mums only in order to see if they converted and had hepatitis B infection. They started with 243 potential candidates, cut that down to 11 that they looked thoroughly through and came back with five in total that might answer this question. A couple of those studies were 100 cases in size, a couple were 50 cases in size and one of them was just five cases. Now, a couple of these studies, including the smallest one of only five infants from Senegal, didn't give any form of hepatitis B vaccination routinely to the babies in their area. In that smallest study, one of those five babies who was born to a mum who was just the anti-HBC positive did convert or did develop a hepatitis B infection. The larger studies where routine vaccination against hep B was part of the natural process did not have any infants that converted through to get hepatitis B. How this is interpreted is tricky because there's lots of other things that might have been going on but the authors not unreasonably conclude that if you find your call to this situation of having a hep B core antigen alone positive mother uh, there is no desperate need to leap in with passive immunisation in the delivery room, but that if you're working in an environment that doesn't routinely give hep B prophylaxis to babies, then this might be a good idea in these specific instances, because what data is out there, and they acknowledge that that's very scant, would suggest that hep B vaccination would prevent any tiny possibility of transmission. So, some strikingly different types of questions there. And the little bit we've got on understanding the evidence a bit further relates to the value kappa. Now, when two people or researchers or clinicians are looking at the same thing, we often want to know if they are seeing the same thing or making the same decision. Now, it has been said, not by me, who loves radiologists deeply and, and rely on them on a daily basis to get me out of trouble, if two radiologists look at the same chest radiograph on three different opinions, you'll have at least six views as to whether or not there is a pneumonia there. Now, that clearly can't be true. Um, <clears throat> but measuring the amount of agreement between two things, two observers looking at one thing, is often done and reported using the kappa statistic. Um, kappa being that Greek letter that looks like a capital K that's been squashed with fancy bits around the sides. What it is, is a measure of agreement of a dichotomous outcome. It's usually between two observers, although there are variants that can be used for multiple observers. What it does is give you a measure of agreement beyond chance. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you take an observer reporting on the colour of balls that emerge from a dark bag, 
There were five blue balls in there and five yellow. And if they didn't look and they just guessed, you'd expect them to be right 50% of the time. If there were two observers that were calling as the balls were coming out, and both of them were distracted by one of the fascinating editorials in the FNN edition of the ADC, then you'd expect the pair of them to be right, one of them 50% of the time, one of them 50% of the time, so half of that half is 25% of the time. If there's any agreement beyond 25%, which is the chance expected agreement of two observers looking at that, that would be agreement beyond chance. And the capital statistic works out what chance would be and then calculates in, a, in excess of that what would the agreement level be. Zero is perfect disagreement, one is perfect agreement, in between is usually interpreted in fifths. So less than 0.2 is poor agreement, 0.2 to 0.4 fair, 0.4 to 0.6 moderate, 0.6 to 0.8 good, and over 0.8 is generally called excellent agreement. Operationalizing it, actually saying, what do you need it to be? How good do you need the two observers to be? Actually depends what you're using it for. In the same way that there is no right wine uh, to go with a meal, there's no correct kappa value that you have to get. You have to interpret it in light of the situation you're using it. Now, in the next month, it would be lovely to receive a barrage of tweets or emails or little Facebook comments about how you find the podcasts that we're giving, the Archimedes sections that we present, and the information that we provide to you, dear listeners. Or if on the other hand, you just want to listen in next month, then that's fair enough too. Have a lovely time and make sure you practice in as evidence-based a way as possible. And we look forward to hearing your Archimedes stories very soon. Thank you for listening.